going to wait a second, make sure that it kicks in. All right, I don't think that uh, we've been shy about tackling some of the tough topics on this show. We have not been afraid to go there. Uh, Austin at not even when he's he's joined, whether it be race or the intersection between sports and politics, NIL, what have you. And uh, we have one of those topics today. So I have to warn you that this content may not be for everyone. It may not be for everyone and you may find it offensive. And so just uh, just be forewarned because we're going to tackle one of those topics today. This circulated a little bit on Twitter. And the question is, is which is more shocking for an adult to have never eaten eggs or salad? Now, we're not talking about like eggs in a cake or something like that. Eggs, Benedict, scrambled eggs. Don't be stupid, people. No, we mean that type of consumption of eggs. And so it's not just me, Matt, Austin, and Chris here today. We have brought a panel a panel of experts to address this issue. Ray GQ, creator of Destination Devi and host of Wake Up TV, which is more shocking for an adult to have eggs or salad? What's more shocking? You haven't had a salad or you haven't had an egg? Both are absolutely absurd, ridiculous. And you both should be ashamed of yourselves it's about as absurd as people who think that Jackson Smith and Jigba is a better wide receiver prospect than Kayshawn Boutte. Both of you should be ashamed. Brandon Lejeune, uh, the Devi to Dynasty dashboard creator, also the creator of the Devi Summit. Brandon Lejeune, which is more shocking for an adult to have never eaten eggs or salad? Well, I think the word adult that you use in the question, I've got to go with a salad. I mean, a salad is on every menu. A salad is a staple appetizer before a meal. Um, so if you weren't brought up with eggs and you didn't eat eggs when you were a young kid, I don't see why as an adult you would start eating eggs. So I'm going to say a salad. I think uh, in the healthy environment, we're all trying to eat better. More adults are eating salads than eggs, although eggs are great in protein. My kids eat them a ton. Um, great protein. I love hard-boiled eggs. I love deviled eggs. I love scrambled eggs, fried eggs. I love all eggs, but it's got to be the salad, man. This That's a reasonable man right there. That is a reasonable person. Thank you, Brandon Lejeune. Hannah Lay of Campus to Canton and WKU Rivals. Hannah, which is more shocking for an adult to have never eaten, eggs or salad? We're, we're having technical difficulties. We're going to come back to Hannah. Kevin Coleman of Football Guys and, of course, the Debbie Royale podcast. Kevin Coleman, which is more shocking for an adult to have never eaten eggs or salad? Well, since I'm Portuguese, my mother's side, like eggs is the number one shocking thing. I've eaten eggs since I was like six months old. My mom, that was my first meal, I think. And even as an adult, and you work out, Felix, you, you probably got egg whites all in your fridge right now. You're lying because I know you. I see you on Instagram posting those pictures. But I think 
Eggs. Eggs is the number one. I cannot believe that people have never eaten eggs before in their life. This is ridiculous. You're not taking this seriously. I need more reasonable people to answer this question. I need us to take this seriously, Kevin. You are you are making fun of the premise. Scott Belanger, a.k.a. Jax Falcone, host of The Undrafted, of the Undroppables Network. Jax, which is more shocking for an adult to have never eaten eggs or salad? So I asked my family... And uh, I had a very interesting, I have an eight and a six-year-old. The six-year-old just rambled about not being as delicate with yourself. And I don't know what the fuck he was talking about, but the eight-year-old was brilliant. She said, um, she said, well, there are vegetarians and vegans in this world. And so that would stand to reason that maybe someone had never eaten them because of, you know, eaten eggs because of uh, vegetarianism. And I thought that was a pretty smart answer for an eight-year-old. I didn't think of it. My wife actually gave the answer that you said, don't be an idiot, which was, uh, you know, how the fuck have you never had a cake or anything? with? So she went there with the eggs. I will say, though, it would be completely shocking. I'm with Kevin. How could you have never eaten an egg? I mean, salad is one of those things you can be like, no, nah, I don't eat salad. But eggs have been force fed to you as a child. You had to have eaten a scrambled egg somewhere along the way. That's the take. That's it. I'm out. I don't, I don't, these people these are, are ridiculous answers. These are, this is absolutely ridiculous, preposterous. Hill, contributor to player profiler, the breakout finder and host of the Hero RB show. Noah, which is more shocking for an adult to have never eaten eggs or salad? Okay, I think there are, there are two angles here. There's the pickiness angle where I think you could justify never eating an egg or a salad. We were recently given some duck eggs that are sitting in our fridge, and I tried one of them. Tasted a little bit different. was a little bit weird. I, I would never want one again. If I had never tried a chicken egg, I imagine I would feel similarly that it's kind of gross and weird. And so I get that. I also get that a salad includes lots of vegetables, things that people don't like sometimes. But the thing with the salad is that you can specifically curate or order your salad to include only things that you already know that you like. And so it's ridiculous to not have tried a salad in that context. And then the social context is you're never going to be socially obligated to eat an egg, almost ever. You make them in your home for breakfast, and you could just simply decline to order them at a restaurant. Whereas if I've been over to people's homes many times where I'm served dinner with an accompanying salad, I would be rude to refuse to eat the salad. And I, I think because of the combination of those two things, it's much crazier to never have eaten a salad as an adult. Listen, Noah is probably one of the most well-researched writers that we have in the fantasy space. And of course, he would come up with the right answer. That just makes sense. All right, let's uh, let's go here to Shane Hallam, managing partner of Draft Countdown and co-host of the Debbie Marketplace. Shane, which is more shocking for an adult to have never eaten eggs or salad? Like this, this comes down to the question, right? The question is shocking. I think the egg is much more shocking to never have eaten, never have run into, never have touched. Uh, I talked to my wife about this. That we did agree the salad is much sadder. That's just telling people you don't eat vegetables, your vegetables. So I think the egg is more shocking. The salad is a little bit, little, little bit sadder. Um, no, that's not. That's not right. <laughs> <laughs> that is not, that is not right. Uh, we're gonna get you out of here because that was not the right answer. Um, 
Colin Decker, a co-founder here at Campus to Canton and co-host of Campus Life. Colin, which is more shocking for an adult to have never eaten eggs or salad? Yeah, I'm going to stick with the the way the question is framed, the, the more shocking part, and it's definitely an egg. When you're a kid, you're basically force-fed eggs. Eggs are a staple of breakfast, scrambled eggs, omelets, egg sandwiches, egg, you know, there's just so many different types of way to make eggs for a morning that, you know, when you're a kid, like, what are you going to do? Just always eat like pop tarts and cereal and stuff. Like you need something actually there. So it's more shocking to have never eaten an egg before. Um, I also hate vegetables too. Notorious vegetable hater. So I don't eat salads at all. Um, so this was an easy one for me. Yeah. I, I you know what? Get out of here. Just get out of here. Get out of here. Um, just get out of, all the way out of here. Hannah Lay, let's come back to you on this. This is the, the woman, the only woman on this panel. All right. So I feel like this is, there's, a, you know, your vote actually means something here. Hannah, please tell these people, please tell these people, which is more shocking for an adult to have never eaten eggs or salad? Okay. I'm going to go the youth route. You don't feed a baby a salad but you do feed babies and young children eggs. And if you had neither, if you've had neither, you probably think Austin Reed will be the starting quarterback for Western. All right, I, I made a wrong decision by coming to you last hand. I'm sorry, we're gonna have to kick you out of here too. It's just absolutely ridiculous. It's preposterous. You all did not take this seriously. You did not take this seriously, uh, but we wanna thank all of our panelists for hanging out. A lot of them are still here in the back, so they might even join us uh, for, for the show. And, you know, if any of them do want to join, just shoot us a note here in the private chat. You guys have got the show sheet. We are live. This is the Debbie debate. Um, Austin, Chris, you guys are here now. Come on now. I, I mean, I'm right on. Like adults, why do salads. I not get to defend my on the whole time and talk about how eggs, this, <laughs> eggs, just that, eye candy. eggs, 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 and I just got to sit here and take every shot fired. Look, I'm with my boy Colin. We had this discussion recently. If you guys listen to Canton Bound, I just I'm a very picky eater. I know Noah made some great points. You can't curate a salad to however you want, except I've never tried Thousand Island, whatever. I don't I'm not trying to eat lettuce. I'm not a rabbit. I don't even eat carrots. I eat green peas. That's it. I don't, I'm a meat and potatoes guy. My dad raised me that way. My wife hates it. She tries to get me up. I'm probably gonna die in five years because of that. I just don't eat healthy. It's just not what I do. So I've never tried to said I've tried it once. About a month ago, my brother got married. We went to a very fancy restaurant. Has Noah brought up? What did they bring us before like our beautiful filet mignons? It was a salad. You know what I did? My wife's like, just try it. I'm like, nope, I'm good. Thanks. Here you go. And pushed it right off to the side. If we went to somebody's house and they offered me a salad, I'd say, no, thank you. And if that was rude, don't ever invite me back again. I'd be perfectly fine with that. I don't care. Not going to hurt my feelings. That's all I got to say. Eggs all day. I had eggs so earlier. So I got a question for Felix since he, th this is his moderation and, you know, he, um, he posed the question. Felix, you have children. Oh, yeah, I do. Do you feed them salad? Uh, I, yeah, I do. So we've all eaten salad since we were very, very young. Yes. 
Do you feed them eggs? And eggs. And eggs. Yes. I'm just, I'm the only one who doesn't eat eggs. First of all, mm. they smell gross. They look gross. Why, why would I put that in my mouth? An omelet, sm- an omelet smells good. I do. I do. I feed it to them, but I do not eat it myself. Omelets are delicious. They look good. They look They're good. Delicious. You can I, put I, meat and potatoes in an omelet. That's why Matt's all over it. I He's love a meat omelets. potatoes guy. Oh, and double meat, cheese. I love it. I am cheese, all for omelets. Peppers. All of that smells good, but I just I just couldn't do it. Austin, you've got like the final word on this. Oh, um, not to take a, a shot at anybody, because I know it's Scott Fish who's uh who I, I, I love that uh doesn't eat the salads, but adults that say that are like proud that they don't eat salad or like adults that are proud that they don't read books. Like I don't. it's a, it's the same level oh, of I'm like, and I'm not saying, oh, you're gonna, and you're I'm not saying get, that oh. Scott phrased it as like, oh, I'm boy. proud. I've never oh, eaten a salad, but it does sound oh, like boy. Matt phrased it that way. And that's Austin. really what brought it to the forefront. You know, of it's not guess who's not your day. Your days in the industry. I know it's, your days in this have industry to find are numbered. Your, your days, can. yeah, we're done. We're, we'll, we'll we're not even cancel me. Voting. Cancel <laughs> me. We're not done. Okay, that's enough hijinks. Um, we are going to get into football here. There are some burning. We're ap- approaching the season, and we are. You should have seen our chat this week about what we were going to talk about um, because there isn't anything to talk about. <laughs> but we did come up with some things for you. Like we always do. Like we have since November of 2020. This show is weekly. It will always be here for you. There are some burning questions as we are approaching the start of the season. Chris, I'm going to throw this first question to you because one of your favorite players is on the list. But one of those burning questions is, will FCS level football continue to serve as a pipeline for Debbie NFL NFL relevant uh, FBS players? We've had um, uh, Trey Lance. We've had the transfer last year of um, – oh, shit. Who am I thinking of? Who am I thinking of? Went from F- FCS. I mean, B- even Bailey Zappi. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, which is more CFF, CFF relevant. But still, Bra- Bailey Zappi was drafted ahead of Sam Howe. Um, so there's that question as to whether or not this pipeline was still exists. For Debbie, for NFL, for CFF purposes – Cameron Ward, Antoine Wells, Tyler Hudson are all exam- examples. Cameron Ward at Western, uh, at Washington State, Antoine Wells at uh, South Carolina, and Tyler Hudson at Louisville. Do you think that we will still we we will continue to see a trend of these guys transferring up, so to speak, and then having an impact? So I have a somewhat nuanced response, and I know that's not what want to hear we want to hear hot takes all the time um division two and fcs players go that route for a reason and a lot of the times it's a lack of exposure um cameron ward's great example he did not play in a offense that threw the ball at all in high school antoine wells wasn't academically eligible coming out of high school he went to um uh famu which is the um Fork Union Military Academy in Virginia. Um, so a lot of these guys, like we'll see that with Malik Benson going to Alabama next year. A lot of these guys that are either going JUCO or are going FCS are going that way for a reason. So I don't know if it's a developmental pipeline as much as it is once you're eligible to get there, then you can have that conversation about 
Um, maybe you're not a, maybe you are truly a FBS talent, but you didn't have that opportunity. I think the more pressing development question that we're going to see, especially in the NIL and transfer era is, are we going to see more kids transfer from lower P5 or G5 schools that develop over time and go to higher end power five schools and then get drafted? I think that's the more likely development pipeline than FCS going to the NFL. Cause I think FCS kids are mostly guys who just missed the process and like were left out for whatever reason, basically extenuating circumstances. So no, I guess is, is the way I, I look at it. I think it's just guys just don't have the opportunity and that's, Mostly, yeah. I think the best transfer that is, that's in this class, besides um, besides Cameron Ward, is, is Jerry Verse, the edge at Florida State. And David and I were talking about him in our Slack today. Like this dude didn't play edge in high school. When was he going to have a chance to train to play edge at a Power Five level? Now he's at Florida State, one of the best tra- best transfers in the class. So it's a really interesting question, but no. <laughs> Sorry, that was that was long, but it, it is a really nuanced um, discussion because it's not set the way that I think it people think it is. So, Chris, just to to ask you real quick, you said you know the FCS and below kind of serves for a lot of these kids as people that didn't get enough exposure. Are you suggesting that we're going to solve that issue by getting more kids exposure? I mean, I think that's always going to happen. It always has happened. It obviously happens less than it did in like 1950 where some kid was, you know, like the Steelers, they're, they're huge 1974 draft. A bunch of those guys, they drafted from like really small HBCUs and like other schools because like no one had ever heard of them. Like I, it happens less, but that's still always going to happen, right? Or, you know, a kid has a major growth spurt and goes from a, a wide receiver to like an offensive tackle or like, I mean, like th- this kind of stuff can happen every year. It's it, the, I don't think it serves as a pipeline in terms of development the same way that it is just, kids who probably are FBS talents that that aren't playing there. Like there's a big difference between players transferring from Boise State or Vanderbilt to go to Alabama than Cameron Ward going to um, Washington State or Jared Verse going to Florida State. Um, Antoine Wells is, another, again, another great example. Those are like very different scenarios. So sure, it serves as a pipeline, but the resources that we've had around recruiting and how much better we're getting at it and how much better exposure we're having, I think it's going to happen less and less. Yeah, I think this is really a Cameron Ward question because, um, you know, we've already, well, in two respects. One, his uh, head coach followed him to Washington State the same way Zach Kitley followed uh, everyone over to, from Houston Baptist to Western Kentucky. But Cameron Ward already being rejected in the first round of some NFL mock drafts, and he's going to have plenty of opportunity to show his arm. He's, He's in a Mike Leach air rated system, but they also throw the ball downfield. So he's going to be able to show his consistency and his ability to uh, to make to make NFL type throws. Um, so, you know, we could see schools like a Washington State or a school that um, is is on the FBS fringes attempt to go to the FCS level for talent. If we continue to see this working because it, it worked last year with Houston Baptist, Western Kentucky. Let's see if it works this year with um, uh, uh, the folks there from Incarnate Ward going over to Washington State. All right. Uh, Matt Bruning, I'm coming to you 
with this one first because, again, one of your Ohio State Buckeyes is among those mentioned. It's put up or shut up time for Mario Williams, Marvin Harrison Jr., and JoJo Earl, all second-year players. Are the ratings for these players, are they going to be? Are they going to show to be warranted or not? And if not, who will replace them? I think it's warranted for two of them, and that's Marvin Harrison Jr. and Mario Williams, actually, because of the offense he'll be in with Caleb Williams and Lincoln Riley. I mean, Felix, you and me have been here on Marvin Harrison for literally over a year. He he was in our top 20 to start the year as a freshman. Mocked and ridiculed. <laughs> of course, Miss Spears. Mocked and ridiculed. Go ahead. Uh, and so I, I think his... His ranking, I mean, I have him as wide receiver three. I believe Austin has him there, too. I don't know where everybody else has him, but I I think his ranking right there is well-deserved, especially after the season we expect him to have. And and Mario Williams, I imagine I'm probably the lowest on him, and I have him as 15 in my wide receiver rankings. And I I still think he might be even warranted a little bit more than that because he's probably going to produce in that offense. JoJo Whirl is the one that scares me because he – Didn't do a lot during spring. They continue to bring in all of these transfer wide receivers. He's going to likely be, from everything I read early on in spring, the slot wide receiver. And if you go back to Bill O'Brien's Penn State days, go to his Houston Texan days in the NFL, wide receivers in the slot have never produced for him. So that worries me a lot with the guys that they're bringing in and him being there. He's the one that I feel like maybe we have. I I have him in my top 12 right now. And I feel like he could easily, after this year, if he does not even have a decent season, could easily fall off here and and be, I don't know that I'd drop him super low, but he would not be in my top 12. And I mean, guys behind him, I mean, Troy Franklin, Austin's guy, Lorenzo Styles, you know, Ja'Cory Brooks could end up jumping him. Uh, DJ Allen, those are guys that are all lower that I think could have better seasons than JoJo Earl this year that could easily jump him in the ranking. So he's the one for me. I think Marvin Harrison and I already forgot who the other, Mario Williams are safe. They will produce. I don't see them falling at all, but JoJo Earl is the one that concerns me. Mox, I mean, do you think that we're headed to green pastures for all three of these guys? I mean, I kind of agree with Matt that Marvin here. I mean, Marvin Harrison Jr. is going to be on the perimeter catching passes from C.J. Stroud. I just kind of, I kind of don't see how he could fail. I heard on a podcast here recently that you know there was the thought that maybe a, a, a Mecca Abuka overtakes him, but Emeka Abuka is a different type of receiver, plays a different type of position. I think that Emeka Abuka is going to, you know, take over for Jackson Smith and Jigba in the slot when he's gone. I don't really think that he is a threat to the play style and the type of wide receiver that Marvin Harrison Jr. is. He's pretty safe. The question for me really is, is Mario Williams, can he be a prolific 1B to Jordan Addison? And then JoJo Earl, given what we saw with the drops and inconsistency, only in the spring game, only in the spring game. And we're going to talk a little bit more about JoJo early, but do you see green pastures for all three of these guys? You better hope so, and not you specifically just the community at large better hope so because there's no room those there's no margin for error at this point on any of those players like they are basically ranked close to their peak Mark harrison jr at three he ain't going any higher than jackson with the jig but keishan Boutte. he's not he, there's no room for him to fail despite having like below 10 passes and not a 100 yard game last season like i think he, there's a lot of the it, 
he's too big to fail based on where I've seen him going in drafts and in auctions. There's no, there's, there's no room for downside at his price. Um, Mario Williams has a little bit more wriggle room because he's outside of the top 12 for the most part. Um, I do like him. I don't know what he projects at the next level. Um, so I think his rankings fine. Um, Jojo Rowe, I say, I share very similar concerns to Matt. Um, I've talked about it on the show too. I'm not sure I want to be investing in him. And I think having him top 12 or top 10 is pretty risky. And I actually would just target um, any of the other Alabama wide receivers that are kind of in the same mold as him. They brought in a bunch. Like they have a bunch of guys who play that shifty, smaller um, slot type role. Aaron Anderson, Isaiah Bond. They got some coming in the next class, like Christian Leary. There's a bunch of guys that play similar enough positions where they can leverage them the same way. And Chojo Earl is a totally different level of athlete, in my opinion. But I don't think Alabama feels that way right now. And they haven't shown us they feel that way. Austin, I was listening to Debbie Marketplace this morning, I believe. And uh, Kane called Marvin Harrison Jr. I think it was Kane. Called Marvin Harrison Jr. a sell. I mean, you've been, well, after his freshman season. And after you mocked and ridiculed both Matt and I, you've kind of been you've kind of been hot on him. I mean, there is some there you can make quite a a bang for your buck if you decide to retain that equity and trade Marvin Harrison Jr. Now, I mean, talk about that position. I mean, should you just unload him at this point? The thing about him is actually like I would not be opposed to selling him, but I don't see his stock really dropping this year. Like if he's one of the top three wide receivers in Ohio State, he's going to put up pretty good numbers. I mean, what the third wide receiver on Ohio State do last year, like 55 catches, 800 yards and seven to eight touchdowns. 900. All three were almost at a thousand last year. So there there we go. I thought someone missed some time with injury and and it kept them down a little bit. Um, So, yeah, I mean, like he's going to be one of those three guys. I mean, even if you project slightly lower, I mean, maybe they run the ball a little more this year since they have Travion and a couple other guys there. I, I don't know exactly, but like, I think he'll just basically do exactly what he's expected. Cause I don't think anybody expects him to lead that wide receiver room. So I think that he doesn't have to do that to cash in on like his current value. And even if he drops a little bit below, like even if like book ends up being the wide receiver too, there, it's still like, Oh, he was the top wide receiver in the same recruiting class as Marvin Harrison was. And they're probably all like in the, in the odds are they probably both had really good years. So I actually like I think, yeah, I mean, he's probably close to the peak of his value, but I don't I think he's actually a relatively stable asset unless he just suffers some sort of injury this year that that would drop him a little bit. So I actually I don't like I don't think you have to sell him to cash in right now. Um, the only thing I will say about Mario Williams, that I think everyone just kind of ignores about this. And granted, like Mario Williams and Caleb Williams came over together from Oklahoma there's obviously chemistry there. I don't think they were a package deal like Dart and Trig were, but I think they still like kind of were sniffing around the same places together. Like Addison comes in and Gary Bryant is still there. And I think Gary Bryant can be enough of a thorn in the side of Mario Williams this year. Cause I think they're kind of similar players. So I, I I'm interested to see how that plays out. Cause I, I really do think that we could see like both of those guys get like 600 yards receiving and kind of eat into what the other one kind of does best. I agree with you on, on, I still think that Mario Williams can play outside and be a vertical threat. I don't know that Gary Bryant Jr. is necessarily that. I think that he's more of a, a slot player, but I do agree with you that their slot roles are, are 
similar. Um, and I think that Gary Bryant Jr., not only Gary Bryant Jr., but your boy Michael Jackson, I think that he's a good player too. And I thought that he started to come on-ish towards the end of uh, last season. So um, I saw you, Mox, by the way. I got you. That's that great. I think the one thing with that, oh, though, is, is we're all arguing – Mario Williams still probably outproduces JoJo Earl. And if he does something in that offense, we're all assuming Jordan Addison goes on, right? Like he goes on to the NFL. He's not staying another year more than likely, at which point he's going to be at worst the two, again, in a very highly productive Lincoln Riley offense. Where JoJo Earl, you're almost betting on a Jamison William type season as a junior to, to vault any kind of value for it if he does nothing this year or here's little where, to nothing. Here's where I kind of disagree on everyone here with JoJo. <clears throat> I think people are overreacting a little bit to a spring game in which it was like a freaking downpour and he wasn't great, but he was targeted. Like I think that he he got on the field last year as a freshman before any of the other freshmen, for some reason, we still love to Brooks, even though like a lot of the recruits they brought in this year were small shifty guys, but a lot of the transfers they brought in are boundary guys. I don't think Jermaine Burton can play in the slot. And I think that they envision um, what's his name from, from Louisville playing on the boundary as well. Harold. Thank you. So like, I still think like, I still think he was the first on the field, like I said, and I, and like his, his role hasn't really been recruited over or, or transferred over. Like, I still think he's a safe guy. So for me, like if he starts, if he starts drifting into like the fourth round of startups, that would be the time for me to start buying him. Cause I think the ceiling is just so much more than that. And I'm also curious, like, I know Bob has never had like great slot receiver play, but like. Has he ever had a great slot? Like, we don't really. Kiki Kuti was excellent. Yeah. uh, I mean, he's had some decent ones. My thing with that is, though, too, is I still think Burton and Harrell are probably the one and two in that offense. And with the way that offense is going to run, I still don't. JoJo's not going to get the volume is what I think. I think he's still going to be. Maybe he's only behind Burton. But if Burton does anything like Williams, uh, Jameson Williams did uh, last year, like I don't know that JoJo has a massive season. I still think well, that let, we're 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 getting a little ahead of our skis on Harold. Like I think the coaching staff brought him in because he's interesting, and they didn't have a speedy guy there necessarily, especially through the spring. But Jermaine Burton can play the Jamison Williams role. So like, if push comes to shove, like he can be the deep guy. He can be the guy that his speed scares a defense, like this uber athlete. I don't think. I think people are saying. Harrell is Jameson because they kind of are similar athletically, but I still think we're going to see a lot smaller of a role. Harrell doesn't scare me in terms of eating into anyone's meaningful production. I think he's going to be a lot more situational than people want to admit, but maybe I'll just be wrong twice in a row on that archetype in that offense. I don't know. As far as the wide position in spring it was very clear that Jermaine Burton was the boundary wide receiver. It was very clear that JoJo Earl was the slot wide receiver. But that's just an extension of what we saw last year. Like you said, Austin, who was the first of those highly touted freshmen on the field, even though he wasn't there in the spring, and and a guy Hall and Ja'Cory Brooks was. And then he was immediately like splitting time with Slade Bolden in the slot. Slade Bolden had like a 90% slot rate, and before he was hurt, um, JoJo Earl had like an 88% slot rate. So – uh, he, Jojo Earl is going to be the slot, the slot wide receiver. And I, I disagree with you, Chris. I don't think that there are guys there in that locker room, including the freshmen, who can kind of replicate his skill set. Let's move on here 
to and this this question was influenced by the the burning the redshirt podcast that i was listening to recently they were talking about um these guys going uh, uh at western kentucky and and kitley's uh, moving over to texas tech and it raises an interesting question as to who was responsible for Western Kentucky's success. Was it Bailey Zappi, the quarterback, the fourth-round draft pick to, what, the New England Patriots? Or was it Zach Kitley, the offensive coordinator who is now at Texas Tech? Because I think all of us are, you know, when we're later in C2C uh, startups or supplemental drafts, we're like, all right, which Western Kentucky, which Texas Tech guys can I get who are still on the board. Uh, and I wish I had Hannah here because Hannah is the Western Kentucky guru. I'm an idiot. Uh, I didn't tell her that we were going to be asking this question, but uh, Austin, I mean, can I throw it to you? Do you have an answer for who do you think is more responsible for the success there? Kitley or, or Zappy? And really this is a question that as to whether or not the success that they had last year can be replicated in either Texas tech or at Western Kentucky. So Hannah just said that she's hopping on here in a second. I think, um, you want my lukewarm answer before we start? Like the lukewarm answer is we'll find out this year. That's, um, say. <laughs> That's so lame. Come on. I think <laughs> I think it's the staff. The NFL is a lot different in that regard, where I think we had Brady and and Belichick together for years, and we were like, you know, and now I think we kind of think it was more Brady. College is just so much more about system that I think it's probably more the coaching staff and, and the position they put these guys in than Bailey Zappi. But I could be wrong, Hannah. I mean, you're the you're the expert here, and you're tie dye, and they're not going to say shit to you about your tie dye, even though they came after me a few months ago. I just want to throw that out there. And Hannah, before you answer this question, let me just say that it is so important to know the like. There are buy-ins with like a lot. I'm in some buy-ins with hundreds of dollars are the, are the buy-in, and if you get the answer to this question right, that's just well. You just won. You just won the college side of your leagues if you had the right stack. So, Hannah, help us with this. Was it Zappy or was it the staff or some combination of both? Provide us some clarity on this. So, I think you kind of have to know the history of how that all went down. And it's my understanding that Helton wasn't pleased, obviously, with how 2020 went. He went after Kitley first, and and. It was either Helton or it was Zach Grant, or it might have been a combination of the both. Um, so he goes after Kitley first. Kitley comes pretty much with Zappy. Zappy comes, I think, three days later. And with Zappy comes Stearns. Stearns has the condition that baby brother Josh Stearns comes. So I think it is possible it's a combination of all of that. Um you know, I think it's really too soon to say because all we've known of Kitley is Zappy. That's other than um, when he was with uh, Tech. And he's had experience with those air raids and obvious success. So I'd say it's sort of like 60-40 leaning Kitley, 70-30 leaning Kitley. I, I do think there is more emphasis on the staff. He's also Kitley brought over Hamby to the offensive line coach to Texas Tech. Um, Hannah, do you think that Western Kentucky is going to be able to replicate even 80% of the production that they produced last year? Because, I mean, 
I have Jared Dogie as my starting quarterback who's projected to be the starter there in a lot of places. I've even drafted the Division II quarterback, Austin Reed, who <laughs> I don't think is going to be the starter this year. I right. even – like, I just want to – like, I'm like, I have to have this position locked up. Am I, right. am I doing the right thing? Do you think I'm doing the right thing by drafting Dogie, drafting uh, Malachi Corley, Davis yes. Daywood, and Jaron Hall? Yes, because – Okay, so Ellis leaves. So why would Ellis leave? And then Arbuckle stays. And Arbuckle has been Kitley's protege. And um, air raid. So a continuation of that air raid system. Then the air raid system, for better or for worse, the idea is that you can drop in what any quarterback. It's a quarterback-friendly system. So even if... Deggy doesn't have to have Zappy's numbers to be successful. And then you've already got an extremely deep receiver room. So it's our, it's almost like less pressure may even win another one more game than last year. Um, I think they're even more primed for success than they were last year. Hannah, Hannah Lay is – Actually, we, should we? Hannah Lay is going to be our, t- our creative team lead at Campus to Canton. So, a round of applause for for Hannah, and she is excellent, absolutely excellent in covering Western Kentucky for us. So, Hannah, you, you may have made some folks some money who are still out there drafting in you know the fifteenth <laughs> round, and they're trying to figure out if Western Kentucky uh, players are still worth investing in. So, uh, Hannah, appreciate you. Bye. All right. Um, anybody else got any other thoughts on that conversation? The, the so only I'll have one. Would... Go ahead, Marks. Yeah, go. No. Okay. The only thing that I will add here is that prior, and I, I hate following up on Hannah because Hannah literally is the, the expert. So it's a lot of pressure on me. Um, Tyson Helton, the head coach, was under June Jones. He, he was at Western Kentucky as the offensive coordinator under Jeff Brown. That year, he happened to have the quarterback who led the country in passing yards and touchdowns. His point was so froze. good. He froze. Just froze. He just, he just he let, just he's froze. really letting that he marinate. Just, yeah. mm. no. Somebody needs to take a picture of Chris Moxley's so, face here because he just he just froze. He's making ahead. a very good point. Uh, very what good I was going to say, the only reason I would probably – lean a little bit more on Kitley is if you go, he obviously the last time he was an offensive coordinator before going to West Kentucky was at Houston Baptist. And if you go look at what the team did points wise before that, they were scoring like roughly 14 to 21 points a game. If you go to the three seasons or two seasons that he was an offensive coordinator, they're putting up like 45 to 66 points a game. So I, and granted Houston Baptist, we're not talking about them playing in the sec or anything, but I think just the massive change of 20 points a game to upwards of 45, I think speaks to just how good he is as a coach. And I think Hannah also kind of intimated that when she said, you know, he came first and then brought Bailey Zappi with him. I don't disagree with her. She knows much more about Western Kentucky than, than I do. So they may have a very good season this year. I don't think they're going to fall off just because Kitley left. But I do think he was a major reason in the success that they showed last year. Well, I'm, I, I've got places where I've got um... – Daggy, I've got show places. I've got, I've definitely got um, Donovan Donovan Smith 
probably too many places. Uh, so I, that's actually one of the questions that I cannot wait to see is like, do we see two highly explosive offenses in Texas Tech and Western Kentucky because of Zach Kitley's influence? And if we do, if we do, Zach Kitley's only going to be at Texas Tech for a year, maybe two, before he's at USC, Alabama, Texas, one of these Power Five uh, blue blood schools. And I've, I've said that before. Um, all right, let's move on here. So we, again, in thinking about this season that is quickly, quickly approaching, we're thinking about the games that are going to the, the first quarter of games. What are some of these pivotal games? And so we have each picked a game and we're predicting what or where we think the fantasy relevant players in those games will be by the time that game is played. Hopefully I didn't make that too complicated, but maybe I can give an example. But before I do, you got to know that we have merchandise at campus If you are a part of this army at growing the format and you are a supporter of campus to Canton and you are waiting for the flood to come, when college fantasy sports is more mainstream, support us. Go get a T-shirt. I actually I had my C2C shirt on earlier this year with that C2C logo. You can also get the Austin, um, to be honest, shirt. It's one of my favorites, actually, that Matt and I designed without Austin's consent. <laughs> at all. Lawsuit might pending. I, might I might I add? We've used his name, image, and likeness. And are profiting from actually we're not profiting at all from it. so uh go buy go buy an austin shirt go get some merchandise on the website so the game that i picked and i picked first because i wanted to have this game is week two texas at alabama i'm going to start with alabama first um i think by the time this game is played which is only week two uh, Alabama opens up with Utah State. Jameer Gibbs is going to be widely considered to be a first-round NFL draft pick, or he will be after this game is played. So at Georgia Tech, there weren't threats outside. There weren't perimeter threats for the safeties to be concerned with. At Alabama, you've got Jermaine Burton, who was the fastest man at his regional in March of 2018 at the opening, verified 4-3-3 speed. He can take the top off of the defense. You've got Tyler Harrell, who averaged 30 yards a catch with Malik Cunningham at quarterback. You've got the Heisman Trophy winner, Bryce Young. And even though Bryce doesn't run, you still have to account for him in the read option game. He's still going to move linebackers out of place. I just think that Alabama's offensive line is going to be splitting defenses like the Red Sea, and we're going to see Jameer Gibbs accelerating through some wide-open holes, making people miss in the open field. And if they use him as a pass catcher, people are going to be looking at Jameer Gibbs like, oh, this guy is comparable or on a similar level to B. John Robinson, who's going to be playing in the same game. I cannot wait for this game. It is absolutely ridiculous. Um how many fantasy-relevant players there are in this game. We mentioned JoJo Earl. Here's what I think about JoJo. So um, I think he's going to be fine for, for a lot of the things that I said earlier. I think that there's no one else who can really 
um, and that has a similar skill set. This team allotted 278 slot snaps to Slade Bolden last year. The next highest was John Mechie at 200, or excuse me, 147. Now, I do like Isaiah Bond. He can do some of the things that that um, JoJo Earl can do, but he's a true freshman, and he wasn't there in the spring. And I think of him, at least right now, more of as a straight speed guy. Speed guy. My concern, and I've expressed this concern previously, would be with Ja'Cory Brooks because there's not – I think that Jermaine Burton is going to be a focus of the passing game. I think that Jameer Gibbs is going to be a focus of the passing game. Just proximity-wise, JoJo Earl is closer to the football than uh, Ja'Cory Brooks playing out there at the flanker. He's closer to the football. I think that 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 Ja'Cory Brooks is going to be a secondary piece. I think that he's going to be the guy that's switched out for Christian Leary, for uh, Tyler Harrell, for these people that they the freshmen in these transfers that they brought in. So I I don't know what you can get for Ja'Cory Brooks if you wanted to trade him, but I think by week two we're going to be like mm, he's not a primary option in the passing game, despite being you know a top five overall wide receiver in last year's class. Let's move over to Texas here. And Bijan's going to be Bijan. I think that Xavier Worthy, I don't really see how his stock could change. The two players that I have questions about are one, Quinn Ewers. Matt, how the hell could you have, you think that Hudson Card is going to start week one when Hudson Card, you have said you have said this before. You said like oh, you said that oh, I'm going to make a big deal. You no, said no, no. That I'm going to make a big. Here's what was said, and Austin actually said this, and I agree with Austin because Petty Felix will come out. What's going to happen is Quinn Ewers is going to come out in week one and have an amazing game, and then week two with a bad offensive line playing against one of the better defenses in the nation with Will Anderson, and I can't remember the other guy's name at the moment, but incredible guys who are going to be rushing the passer and make Quinn Ewers look bad, and you're going to come on here that Wednesday and be like, the golden child, prodigal quarterback, and go all this, you know, Petty Felix crap on here and then Quinn Ewers is going to come out the rest of the year and absolutely light it up and you're not going to say a word that's what's going to happen that doesn't sound like that's me that doesn't sound like me at all that doesn't sound like me that doesn't sound like me but I I feel like you I thought that you had conceded at some point that Hudson Card may start but it is a quarterback battle it let's just say hypothetically that he doesn't start there's no way that that's a good thing for Quinn Ewers he better start from week one over Hudson Card, who couldn't beat out Casey Thompson, and you all think Casey Thompson is just terrible. Casey Thompson is a good player. He just has a fatal flaw that he can't throw the ball 30 yards. Um, and then the other player, <laughs> the, the other player is Isaiah Nayor. It may not be week two, but I think Isaiah Nayor at some point, maybe in the Alabama game, if you're Alabama in your defense, you're going to be focusing on Bijan Robinson. You're going to be focusing on Xavier Worthy. Isaiah Nayor could have a very big game on a national stage, and I think that he could vault himself into a late day one conversation. Big, lanky, possession wide receiver, very much a throwback. I mean, if this was like 1997, I'd be like, yeah, Isaiah Nayor, potential uh, uh, first-round draft pick. But he could have a big game given that 
the focus is going to be elsewhere. But he's a very, very good player. And if Quinn Ewers is as good as you say he is, then that's going to be a good option for uh, him. The huge catch radius. That's going to be a place for uh, Quinn Ewers to 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 get passes into. So, so that's my game. That is my pivotal game. Week two, uh, Texas versus Alabama. Austin, you're up next. Oh my! I don't God. have eight minutes planned like you did. Is that okay? Oh yeah, yeah, sure. Go okay, ahead. I just wanted to make sure. Um, I'm just laughing at the the what the game that I hear on the show sheet. I mean, what Pitt WVU? You're not excited for Pitt WVU? No one backyard brawl for the first time in like eight years. No one's excited for this game. I'm very excited. Um, and I actually think it will be interesting. I, that's not my choice, by the way. But it's Slovis versus JT Daniels week one. Like I think that there's a lot of intrigue there. You know, a lot is. I think Pitt's going to win pretty easily, but uh, who knows? Uh, no, my real answer is Utah, Florida State. They play each other the opening week of the season. It's intriguing from just like purely an entertainment standpoint, uh, especially because I picked Utah to go undefeated and make the college football playoff this year. So I think, you know, this is kind of one of the the bigger um, uh, speed bumps on the, on the road for them to do that. So that's reason number one. But really, you know, in terms of fantasy or – you know, Debbie type assets that were interested on this team. I think it's a really interesting test for Utah who doesn't play a lot of these sec style defenses. You know, we we've seen all these jokes about USC and UCLA moving to the big 10 and they're going to see like, you know, a, a fullback for like the first time ever. Like it's different offenses and different defenses from, from what they normally see. So I'm interested to see how they match up. Um, they do lose a couple things, but they bring back their starting quarterback, Cam rising, who's getting kind of like some sleeper ish, you know, first, second round quarterback type hype. I don't think he's quite that level of player, but he is an intriguing guy. He's mobile. He's kind of what the NFL is looking for uh, right now. And we'll be coming back like two years off an injury now. So I'm interested to see uh, how he looks. Can Tavion Thomas look like he belongs? I think he's more Zach Moss, which is kind of lazy, but also not because that's just kind of what that coaching staff likes in the backfield there. Not really quite an NFL starting caliber athlete, but he's a good player. Obviously, Florida SEC defense, you know, is he fast and athletic enough to to do something there? And then the tight ends as well, Kincaid and, and Keithy. I, I'm interested to see how they do in that game. Both have gotten some some uh, decent draft buzz. And then on the flip side, Anthony Richardson, his first season going in as a starter, how does he look? How does he handle being the guy and not like, you know, the guy we bring off the bench if things aren't going well? How, how does he handle that? And then just the coaching staff as a whole, how are they incorporating Mont- Montreal Johnson, who everyone seems to really like, came over uh, with the coaching staff or there other running backs there do they have an alpha wide receiver like i think these are all questions that we won't really have an answer for until we see them go out there and try to do it so i think we'll see some interesting answers from week one uh, out of both of those teams and so i'm really interested to see uh, how that game plays out if i'm on the night show that night i want to cover that game i'm already laying dibs to that matt whoever felix i, I want that one i have no control over anything here so i don't know why you cool. put my name out first Clearly, because I didn't get to talk about either one of the games I wanted to, which was obviously Alabama-Texas because of my love for Quinn. And I really didn't want to go Ohio State-Notre Dame because I get enough hate for talking about them as it is. So I decided to pivot. No, I'm glad someone talks about it because I actually do think it's going to be a big game, but I'm, I'm not going to do that here. Uh, I'm going week one, what they're considering, I believe, the college football kickoff game of the year, and that's Oregon versus Georgia. And I think it's a massive game for both teams in general. Whoever wins that could really set that team in motion for the rest of the season. If Oregon pulls off the upset, I think that sets up a battle with Utah for the possible Pac-12. If if Georgia wins, obviously they're probably going toward 
an undefeated season, but I just think that Oregon has a lot here that maybe people aren't looking at. They look at Georgia and they say, look, coming off national championship, one of the greatest defenses we've ever seen. They I'm just going to go out there and dominate everybody. They lost a lot of players. Oregon has a top five rated offensive line. And we've seen, I know this is not like statistical, not proven. Like there's no way to actually back this up outside of Bo Nix just has magic in these games and he finds ways to make plays. I think he could be good behind a top five offensive line. You've got Troy Franklin. You've got Byron Cardwell. You've got seven McGee. Unfortunately, they're, they're tied in rest in peace passed away. I thought probably could have been a big piece of that offense as well. Like they've got a decent offense and Dan Lanning knows Georgia. He knows what's good and bad about that offense. Like, again, I know the Stetson Bennett truth is going to come for me. I don't care. Like he's, he's a, he's an okay college quarterback. He is not great. This defense, Braden Swinson and DJ Johnson coming off the edge, two of the higher rated edge players in, in all of college football. They've got Justin Flo and Noah Sewell, linebacker. They actually have some pretty good defensive backs as well, and Christian Gonzalez and Jaleel Florence. I think they're going to be able to get after Stetson Bennett a little bit here, and if they do, I think it's going to be a close game because Dan Lanning knows this team. Like, I would not be surprised if Oregon pulls off the upset, so I think – just what Oregon has offensively with those players. And I do think it's a big thing for Georgia as well. Stetson Bennett going back after trying to repeat as a walk-on. Great story. Can he do it again? But I don't know that they necessarily have the offensive firepower either to keep up with Oregon if they start putting points on the board. I just wanted to make the point that if you are listening to us for the first time and you're not very familiar with college football, Justin Flo has to be in the top five as far as most entertaining players to watch. For Oregon. Now, he has been hurt because he plays with reckless abandon, but watch. I think he's, I can't remember. He has a single digit number, I believe, at linebacker. The linebacker for Oregon, Justin Flo. Just go watch his high school highlight tape, but he is just a player that you want to keep tabs on if Oregon is coming into the Eastern time zone or if you want to stay up and watch games on the West Coast. All right. Um, who are we moving over here to? Moxley? You close closing us out? All right. I waited to put this on the sheet because I wanted to see if Matt was going to claim it as Ohio State Notre Dame. Um, the one I was going to pick because I just think it's absurd is Northwestern Nebraska. That game is being played in Ireland as if the U.S. have not hurt the Irish enough in the last 150 years. We got to send them Northwestern to play in Dublin. Game I actually picked, Notre Dame, Ohio State. There's a lot of questions that are going to be answered in this matchup. Is Ohio State's defense back? I tend to think it will be. I think they have very good athletes. I think that the hiring of Jim Knowles, excellent, excellent hire, scheme fit, etc. Stroud is not a question to me. I don't think... Um, I don't think there's a question with Stroud, and I don't think there's a question with um, with the receiving weapons. Uh, Jackson Smith and Jacob is fine. I think Marvin Harrison is going to start. I, Chris, are you I like see, high or something? Like, are you? I mean, I just I don't want to. I don't want to no, interrupt was, you, but like, are you are you <laughs> drunk? I mean, what's what's going I on? I was tr- I was trying to adjust my mic because oh, right. I'm trying to, I'm trying to get better at calling out stuff that like you know the audience <laughs> would notice, Chris. 
is in the process of, you know, trying to adjust his mic because, yes, we all heard the same thing that you heard, audience. And so Chris is trying to be a professional. And I'm sitting here teasing him about it because he's trying to keep the show on the road. So, no. Anyway, I don't know if my mic is fixed, but we're, we're, we're rocking with it. Receiver room is going to be great. I don't have a lot of questions. I do think Northwestern secondary is pretty – or Notre Dame secondary is pretty good. They brought in Brandon Joseph, um, who I think can – is probably one of the better safeties in the country. I think he's a first rounder. So they're going to get challenged a little bit. I think this is going to be one of the better secondaries and defenses that they face on, on, on their schedule, despite playing in a pretty good defensive conference. So I think we're going to see what some of these secondary wide receivers are made of. Can Emeka Ibuka separate? Can Marvin Harrison be who we want him to be in this game? I think it's going to answer a lot of questions about playing against upper tier defensive competition on the Notre Dame side of the ball. Obviously, we have a brand new offense. Um, I think Tommy Reese is finally going to be able to do his thing. Brian Kelly definitely had no interest in doing so. Um, Tyler Buchner is the, is the number one question here, and I think he's one of the bigger questions of the 2022 season because he's a really athletic quarterback. He has a lot of physical traits, but he hasn't played a lot of football. Like His last two years of football, include uh, last three years, really, he hasn't played much at all. He's really raw, and so I'm. I think it's gonna be really challenging, challenging for him going up against a good Ohio State defense that I expect to be much improved. But I want to see how he handles that adversity. He was impressive at stints last year, and I think he can be a quality player. The running back room. I think I want to see what the rotation looks like behind Chris Tyree. Chris Tyree is more of a gadgety player. He's not very big. He's a solid receiving back, but they've had injuries there. Logan Diggs out for the majority of the year. I want to see what that room really looks like. I think there could be potential for both C2C and Debbie in that room, depending on what the rotation actually solidifies it to. I think they have like three or four backs that are kind of interesting behind Tyree, um, but they did lose some depth. Lorenzo Styles, obviously a big question for me. Uh, I think we all really like him here, but I'd like to see him go up against some of these quality corners. I, I think the Ohio State secondaries could be so much better. And so I really want to see him against good competition and understand how quality he is. And I think... I don't think his brother will play in this game, but his brother, Sonny Styles, is on Ohio State, which pretty cool. Um, yeah, so it, so if he's playing, it'll be cool to see them go up. I, he's a safety, I believe. I don't think he's a corner. I think he's a safety. Um, but yeah, this this Notre Dame team is going to be really interesting. So I think it's a really interesting matchup to see how this offense goes against a potentially approved defense, and then what tertiary options do for Ohio State outside of Travion, Jack Smith, and Jigba, CJ Stroud. This game, I think, is going to inform a lot of opinions. I never want to assume that, you know, folks have seen these guys to the extent that we have. Tyler Buckner is his potential. He's at the high end of whatever you think the high end of dual threat quarterbacks to be. And how good is Tyler Buckner to have played his first two years, got injured his junior year, then COVID was his senior year, and then goes to Notre Dame, has not really been recruited over, and there was not a transfer quarterback brought in. So they must think that he's really, really good. And again, an, one another exciting player to watch. We covered a lot of ground today. We tackled a really sensitive and important issue to start the show. We asked some of the burning questions that we're looking for forward to addressing or being addressed in the first quarter of the season uh, and, and players that, that, you know, we're looking forward to seeing how uh, 
their trajectories shake out. You got to support the website. Subscribe to campus2canton.com. We're putting out more YouTube content. Listen, I you are going to want to be with us during the season. We've got way more people who are paying attention to what we're doing now than we did last season. You're going to want to be subscribed to Campus to Canton on YouTube. You're going to want to be subscribed to Campus on to Campus to Canton on on uh, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast. Support what it is that we're doing and trying to bring this format to the masses. We're going to be here. We're going to be loud, and we're going to knock on that door. Quite frankly, until it falls down. That's going to be our show for tonight. Apologies to Kirk Herbstreet. We ran out of time. We will get him rescheduled soon for Austin Nace and Matt Bruning and Chris Moxley. I'm Felix Sharp. Good night and good luck. Don't forget the ranking summit tomorrow. Intercepted by Eli Apple at the 25, and Apple will go to the ground at the 32, and that's it. Ohio State national champions for the eighth time as they defeat Oregon 42 to 20. Here's Tua stepping back, loads up, looks long, throws, end zone, touchdown, touchdown Alabama, Devontae Smith, touchdown Alabama. And the Crimson Tide has once again ascended to the top of the college football mountain. Their fifth national championship in nine years. Their 17th overall. And for Watson takes a snap, rolls right, looks at the end zone. Hunter and Bob caught it. Touchdown! 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 With a second left, Watson hits Renfro. And Clemson grabs a 34-31 lead and is one second away from the second national championship in school history. Hill, just in front of his end zone, has a man out there. It is Ranger, and he's off to the races. Nobody will catch him. Freshman. Backed up Made the adjustments in the second quarter. Dobbins again, more than 10 yards per carry. He'll add to that. Goodbye. Touchdown, Ohio State. From 52 yards.